Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? nook like my nook is not yeah right so my chair is high now (laughs) okay then we both have a new thing so uh i'm having i've been having microphone problems (laughs) and i went online yesterday to find i tried to get my microphone fixed um i tried to i watched youtube videos about how to fix it i figured out what was wrong with it and when I was watching the video about the guy who fixed it, during the video he 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 um, <laughs> he's using one of, a, a, a um, solder, soldering iron, and he he just like completely melts the motherboard. Okay, so you don't know That's how to do this either. Brilliant, though. That's kind of brilliant. So I go to Best Buy. Oh no! I went there to try to fix my printer. Go ahead. And they had, you know, these microphones all sold out because everybody and their mother has started a podcast <laughs> in the last eight months. So, so the one that was left is, is a, a world of Warcraft. Oh my God. I love it. G- gaming microphone. I love it. Why do you need a microphone if you're a gamer? I don't know. Oh, what? Yes. You, I don't you, see. This is, you have to run this microphone. by me because I don't know. Do it. I don't know. If you want to be anywhere in this life as a gamer, okay. you okay. better have good quality headphones, good quality microphone, because you might be one of the people who gets a serious living <laughs> recording yourself playing video <laughs> games and having a YouTube channel. Right. That other kids oh sit and watch you play a video game. It is the single strangest thing about this generation. It's like the only thing that I that I don't go, oh, I get that, you know. Okay, so I'm trying to like equate it to anything that we, I don't think there is. The closest I could come to it, and it's really not close at all. Like, I just remember my mom looking at me when I was, when I would be, taping radio stations oh oh that is yes yes i taped it and i also okay okay now we're getting somewhere now we're getting somewhere you know what i did took pictures of the television with my kodak (gasps) kodak kodak disc camera when michael jackson was on that's similar so cute i took my disc my disc kodak disc man disc maker whatever just yeah whatever and Kodak disc and that I got for Christmas and I when Michael Jackson was on at the Grammys doing his moonwalk I was taking pictures the pictures I still have I found I think I found one once you it's you can barely tell what what it is but that's what I did over and over and I used all my film taking pictures of the television hey let me run this by you Okay, so now I watched the Do- Dolly Parton documentary. Okay, that's on my list. 
It's so good. She's crazy, but it's so good. I mean, she's bonkers. So, but the nine, my nine to five idea. And I know like there's probably a million options you sent me. I know, but I'm thinking of a television series, nine to five, but it's called nine to 25 and it's, they actually kill the guy. They kill their boss. Um, so, so yeah, like a true crime twist. So it's, it's a bunch of women and they kill their boss and then they have to spend the rest of the series trying to cover it up. And like, I just, I was like, what a great title. Oh my God. That's the best. I love that so, so much. So anyway, I just thought of you cause I was like, oh my God, there hasn't been, there's probably a million remakes in, that have been optioned, but like, I haven't seen that workplace comedy in television. Well, okay. And, and actually you're, you're reminding me of something. Um, they remake every single superhero movie like 1,000 times over. We, we, there's never a female equivalent for that. There's no like female superhero or just female story that we keep seeing over and over again. Meanwhile, not only the, um, the superheroes, but like also just these action franchises that they just, it's just the same thing over and over again. So why not write a, uh, Nine to twenty-five. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love that so much. All right, run by. Let you can run by your. Let me run you by. I just okay. wanted to say. Well, I don't actually have that great of a one, but I'll. I'm going to go forward with one that I have anyway. Wait, hang on. I think I wrote it down. Oh, so like, I. I have, just like I just told you that I have Dolly Parton, the documentary, on my list. I have a long list of things that I want to watch. Books I want to read, TV shows and movies I want to watch. And when it comes time for me to consume my entertainment, Mm -hmm. I never watch one single thing (laughs) that's on my list. And instead, I watch something that I have already seen. Oh, that's, that's, uh, uh, that's really interesting. So and, um, and I'm literally saying to myself, come on, Gina, you've been wanting to watch. And, and there's no reason to, it's not like it's a, I have to read a book for school. It's not like I have to watch. I can even understand it if it was my job to review films and I was just so sick of having to watch. It's not even that. It's literally just stuff that I think would be so good. People tell me it's so good. Oh, that's the worst. If you tell me something is good, I will. De- I mean, I will watch the Dolly Parton thing. But like nine times out of ten, if somebody says you must, I'm like, okay, then, then I'm definitely never going to watch it be- just because you told me I should. It's so silly. It's so childish. I don't even understand what the impetus is no i i i hear you and i think there's two things go i mean there's many things going on but one of them again is the 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 latter issue i think is the joining issue right is that someone someone is really like you've got to do this thing i think from knowing you there's a part of you that's like no i don't and i won't uh but not blatantly you know like you're you're not an asshole so you're not going to be like no i won't to their face but maybe in your buried mind you're like well i just i'm not going to do what you tell me. So maybe there's that going on. But then the first part about why you don't with the list of things, it's like, maybe those things don't, you, you, you clearly need comfort like we all do. So you're going to things that bring you comfort 
And I say it's better to rewatch whatever it is you rewatch versus, you know, smoking crack cocaine (laughs) (laughs) over and over again. But what kind of stuff do you rewatch? Like, what is there a theme? Yeah, I'm on probably my third complete watching of The Office. I have... This is and and okay, yeah, it's an amazing show. It's probably one of the top five comedy shows it's ever been. Agreed. But like, I, I know it. I, I've seen it. I've, I know every episode. Like, I've. I think, but I think maybe it feels like so. So I do occasionally watch something new. I watched I May Destroy You, and it was amazing and inspiring. But that's a good example. I mean that's a hard show to watch in some ways because it's, I mean, just like what it says in the title, it really might destroy you. So I, I, I can understand that kind of thing, but I'm talking about like silly fun things that are things that people say like, Oh, you got to watch it. It's so hilarious. I, I it's, it, it, and, and half the time when I do, cause Aaron isn't like, he always wants to see a new thing. So if I'm oh. watching with him, I do watch a new thing, but half the time, when I'm into it, I'm like, oh, this is great. Why didn't I want to watch this? But it, I have it's a like, similar thing. Yeah. Or you do. You yeah. I have it with, um, yeah. My, like miles, my husband will say, say, um, right. He has a list of Pulitzer prize winning books and he goes down the list and will read them. I, that's never going to happen for me. I feel like, I do what I want to do. And mostly what I want to do is watch weird videos of people getting surgery, you know, like that. that <laughs> I mean, I, I think we go at, at our base level, especially during a pandemic when our country is just gross in so many ways. We go to what is feels like we have control over because see, like I may destroy you that there's no control. I mean, it's so it's a commitment and it is work. It is work to, to watch and and to read, you know, Pulitzer prize winning novels about the Holocaust. That's work. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, it's, that's intense work. And it's true. You know, I, I actually really do think it has a lot to do with where our country is. And, And I think it has to do with like the whole known versus the unknown thing. Everything is so unknown that in some ways I'd rather just watch something that I don't that I don't have to do any work about. I, I it's so known. The last time I was really going wild with consuming new stuff was when Obama was president. I that those years I used to read a book like every week, every Whoa. two weeks. I was constantly on a new book and 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 it. And in a way, I think it's probably because things were sort of status quo. It was, you know what I mean? Like everything was fine, more or less. Not everything is never fine, but you know what I mean? Like for the most part, things were okay. Yeah, comparatively, I mean. And now what, and also I don't like the fact that I start my, I think maybe it has something to do with the fact I start my day by reading the news. Oh. So 30 minutes after I'm awake, I'm already like, this is bad. This is is all terrible. And then I do my work work during the day and my chore work. So by the time of the end of the day, I just, I want to be like, I want to, yeah. I want to evaporate my brain into something that's yeah. just. Yeah. I totally hear you. I think that that makes perfect sense. And I, I think that for right now, 
that, I mean, I think it's always okay, but for right now you stick with the office. I'm going to stick with, um, the Dr. Pimple Poppers, Mr. Mr. Wilson's nose surgery. Oh wait, his not a not a pimple, but a bit of super exciting today. And I survived theater school. We have. Jeffrey Nicholas Brown. I three names because he's very, very important. Um, isn't he? He's just he's he's a when I think of like a ray of sunshine, I think of of Jeffrey Brown. I'm gonna call him Jeff Brown, uh, but he I do, you know, he goes by Jeffrey Brown. You know him from he's the dad in Henry Danger, which just ended. Um, what else, Beans? He's he's um he was a blue man for a really long time, the like, blue man group. He's a yep, he is one he of the web series called vicarious that won awards i believe he's a writer he's a he's um what else does he do you know what he does drums his arse off he's a drummer and he's just so he's a lovely ray of sunshine that is funny and positive and um had has a really interesting i think uh upbringing story absolutely and by the way he has always been a ray of sunshine like he has always exuded that and that he's I think he must have just been born that way I think some people are just born like preternaturally positive I think so too I think so too so we're so lucky to have him Jeffrey Nicholas Brown yes we are doing it about surviving theater school and we are talking about like the whole life cycle of the theater school thing so like when you decided you wanted to go to theater school (laughs) why you picked the theater school that you picked how it looks in the rear view how it met up with your expectations blah 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 right right right. so So, yeah have at it tell us tell us I I I mean I know I I have the benefit of going to high school with you but I also but but I want to know like when were you like yes actor for me you want to know I, I was I was yes actor early early on which I think was detrimental to my work creatively as an actor personally why well I decided I mean I remember being a kid and being like everyone's like you can be whatever you want when you grow up and I was like well if I could be anything I want why not be an actor like what what's what could be more fun than that? That sounds perfect. So, um, because my dad took me to a lot of plays, right? Like I was exposed. I was very fortunate to be exposed to theater at a very young age. I remember we would meet the actors at, at the at the Goodman in Chicago. Like we would, we would go and you could the actors would come out after the kids' shows. Much I think we did this at DePaul, right? We, the actors would come out and you could meet them and get their autograph. And I think I had a birthday party at one of those shows. Like, I mean, I was dead set on being an actor from literally as far as I can remember. I cannot remember. I was like, I like music, but I like acting. And then if you're, and then I was like, sort of like, but acting, you're, you're really, there's music in acting. So you're kind of, you're kind of getting all everything if you're an actor. So I was just like, this is, this is my path from, from very early on. So did you did you pick it in part? I mean, because your your family is very musically yes. elite, and that was a big part of your life since birth. I'm sure. Totally. 
So you don't seem like you're really that into classical music as a person. So maybe you, it sounded more fun to do acting than play classical. did. I grew up in a, you're right. I grew up in a really classical um, family. My brother is still to this day, a classical musician. And uh, he, um, uh, my father taught classical music at DePaul and my mom was a music teacher. And it was definitely a way of me rebelling and sort of being like, my path is going to be different. I am, this is, because it was forced down my throat so much. You know, yeah. I remember my dad being like, Jeffrey, you, you what what opera do you want to see this year? And I'm like eight oh. years old. Like, I, You're like, I don't dude, want I want to watch the Jackson 5 cartoon and call it a day. Yeah, yeah you don't want to be doing that. Exactly. I remember coming to your house and just music, music, music all the yeah. time. My dad was teaching piano out of our house. I mean, it was just like, I don't know how many times I heard the entertainer. <laughs> like that was just the, the background of my childhood. Now, 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 F sharp. There you go. But so um, to get back to your first question, the, the, the acting thing. Yeah. So I was dead set on doing acting and, and I knew I was going to go to some sort of theater school. Now, my father was a professor at DePaul, right? I did not want to go to DePaul. I remember this. Of course not. I was like, anything but that. And my dad was just be like, no, you're going to DePaul. It's one of the greatest acting schools in the country and it's free, which is now they were right. I was wrong. <laughs> I did not see that at the moment. I was in at NYU. I was like, I want to go to NYU. They're like, Jeffrey, do you realize if you go to NYU, you are going to come out with so much debt? And I was like, I don't, you know, you cannot understand what that means when you're 17. You have no idea no. what that actually means. It's Zero. just weird. You're just convinced that you're going to be a movie star and the debt will it'll all get worked out. It's fine. Yeah, for yeah. sure. But, so you did apply to a bunch of schools? Yeah, I applied at four schools. I applied at Juilliard, NYU, DePaul, and U of I. And I got into everything but Juilliard. Did you have to do, uh, so you did auditions for all of them? Oh my God, yes. Jeffrey, we, Jeffrey, we went together to the yes. auditions in New York that was, for, for NYU. You, me, and, you, me, and Heather. Yeah. Did Heather go with us too, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. I remember, I mean, it was terrifying, right? Terrifying. Terrifying. Do you remember what you did? What, what your, your monologue? Oh my god, I don't. Do you? Did Dan, you have you remember a thing, or was it just a monologue? That, it was a monologue, I think. It was a monologue. I thought it was maybe it was just one monologue because we were young and they had mercy on us. But I did, I did a monologue from like some play that was totally inappropriate about uh, a rape. <laughs> I know that I know what I did in the DePaul showcase, and that was a huge mistake. What, what did you what do did at the showcase? At the showcase, I did Arnold Wiggins from The Boys Next Door, which oh. is a mentally challenged yes. man. Oh God, Jeff! And every, now, in today's world, that would be in today's world. I would hope someone would be like, "Do not do that." But yes. back then, there were like. Great. I thought it was like uh, sort of like I'm thinking like, oh, like it's like a sketch sort of thing. But it was so random and weird that everyone I can only imagine people were like, 
Is he? Is he really? Is he right? And we only got to do one thing, so that was your (laughs) what? What? Like you're thinking about all these people? Like who's who? What do I need in my roster of actors? Hmm. I do not need that. That's like a yeah. And you yeah. No one told me that maybe I. Jane Alderman should have stepped in there. Yeah. Yeah. But did you, um, did you get like, did anybody call you? Did you get any agents interested? I did, in the I, I did get one or two phone calls from someone in Los Angeles, like one or two. And I remember they weren't, um, they weren't a, a, a big enough deal to like, to, um, to really move there for. So I, uh, um, didn't I just I just called them and was like um I'm, I'm just gonna go. So something I really admire about you is how seriously you take your work, whatever it is. Oh, thanks. And I remember uh, when we uh, lived together in that warehouse with Rob, that you would diligently get up every day and practice drums for what I remember to be like four hours at a stretch. No, that's maybe, true. Maybe twice a day. Easily. I looked at that as like my own graduate school drumming course. Like I was taking lessons. I was, uh, I, I was, I mean, I would wake up with coffee and just sit there at a pad for an hour every day, easily just, you know, whatever. I, I don't know how many people do that. I mean, at a young age, especially right. I, I, I I, I don't. I mean, I don't know that much about musicians necessarily, but I, most people don't take their craft. I still tend to do that. Like, if I get an audition these days, you know, I, I'm still like, okay, everything I have falls away, and I'm like, this is top priority. Let's spend all, you know, let's get these lines down. Like, I want to be memorized. I, I like to rehearse my auditions. Um, that's just how I like it. I've, I've, I've experimented in various levels of, of rehearsal, and I've found that that I like to be pretty um i don't the, the the acting i want to be the last thing that i have to worry about it's more about how am i going to get there where's the where am i going to park you know all those yeah. logistics um so i have a question about the something that just came up for me is um asking about the theater school yeah when you got there did you feel as though you were um going there you like caved in to your parents' request to go to DePaul? 100%. 100%. I was very much... So so basically, so my parents were like, look, we're not going to allow you to go to... We're not going to give you any money to go to... Like, you cannot go to NYU. You're going to DePaul. That is it. And I was not happy about that. I wanted to get out. It was also like the theater school was very classical theater... And it was sort of that same thing of like, I wanted to do like, like at NYU, I was going to do the experimental program. Um, And so I really felt like I was sort of, yeah, caving in to my, to my parents sort of deal. And like every summer, the deal, the the way my parents sold the deal to me is they're like, look, if you go there, you don't have to work during the summers and you can do whatever you want. Oh, and I was like, oh, rainbow. But right. which was I working. Mean, it was working. And I would come out of there with a little bit of money. But it wasn't like, I think the first summer at DePaul, I went away every summer. Like day, like the day after graduation or that school ended, I was out the door. The first year I went to Glacier National Park 
for <laughs> three months yeah. and worked in the yeah. park there just to get out. Like, so that was sort of how they sold it to me. So that was my, that was my sort of saving grace. But you know, when you think back to the training that we had, as far as acting goes, you, you really are not going to, it's probably the same. I, I would have gotten the same deal at NYU, you know, yes, the experimental program, I would have focused on maybe doing different works and stuff like that. But I do feel like I got, as far as acting goes, I was exposed to a number of fundamental um, uh, concepts that have stayed with me. Like in terms of getting in touch with my body and my voice and being able to control those, which today I use in voiceover, it, it's weird. I don't feel like I learned how to act so much as I learned how to deeply connect to myself, which is arguably acting, right? So DePaul was working on some like deep, deeper levels, I felt like, but I didn't really learn how to act until I moved to LA and I was like, okay, you want to do this? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now go. go. Okay. Let's see what you got. <laughs> and I was like, and I put myself in so many acting classes when I got out here. I just like, I, I, I continued studying for so long when I first got out here. I am still constantly saying to myself when I see a really good performance, like, oh, that's what acting is. <laughs> like, I'm, I feel like I'm still trying to learn what it's totally. about. Every it's time you have to relearn every chat because everything is so different and everything is so like, well, now is it this style or what's the tone and what's, there's so many right. different things, you know, for every show, every show, every writer has a different vision that they're trying to, you know, find. And our job is to sort of, okay, what is, use all the clues that they've given us to be like, I think this is what they want, mm, <laughs> you know? Right. And then how to connect to that is always a challenge. But um, yeah, like 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 the, the-, the theater school at DePaul taught me much more sort of deeper fundamental things than actually how to get a job as an actor because it did not do that. <laughs> Right. No, but it's life things. It, te- it taught you life things. Things it did. I mean, everybody should learn how to relate to their body and how to use their voice and how to be, right. you know. And, and that there's present. a pelvic clock somewhere in the small of your back somehow. That's going on. <laughs> the pelvic oh, clock. Shit. I forgot about the pelvic clock. The pelvic clock, the boner clock. Let's just- oh, my God. <laughs> okay, wait. Getting, I want to ask you a question about auditions. Do you remember the uh, if the auditions among the schools were similar or? different they were i I, what we did when we auditioned for theater school is i remember going to some sort of hotel and there were in each suite was a different school and i did nyu juilliard and all of it in one day like one fell swoop you went in and you did your monologue three times in three different suites because my i only did one i only auditioned for one school i Uh i only applied to one school Uh um and the audition was mind blowing because even though I did drama in high school, my teacher was like the English teacher. She didn't really know anything about theater. And so my audition was in San Francisco. So, you know, I, I drove from Sacramento and David Avcali was running it and we had to do all of these warmups and do all of these space exercises. And I'll never forget. He, he said, now, stuff the space between your legs. And I was like, what? what? 
Oh my God. I was so freaked out and I left and I said to my mom, there's no way those people would ever, I didn't know one single thing about that before I went to that audition. That's Jeffrey, wasn't our DePaul audition at DePaul? Yes. Now yeah. that I'm remembering it, it was in that room, in that movement room. I remember that. So I guess we did Julie in the hotel and then DePaul, because we lived in Chicago, we could go to the school and audition and at the school. It was similar. We had all yeah. these warm-ups and I and like I Rick Murphy for us, right? It was Rick Murphy for us, probably because David Apcolly was in California doing mm-hmm. Gina's. But I remember the same thing of being like and and granted Evanston had like a a, a more of a programmy, but I still didn't know what space. Oh, the only reason I knew what space object was because of Piven Theater Workshop. Yeah, with right. Joyce Piven. Yeah. But I still was like, "What is this? This is a. Yeah. This is what is this?" I'm. Still- you guys both did Piven. Yeah. And yes, Jeff, you did. Uh, you did like a touring thing with Second City. Yeah. When I was so when I was in high school, they had a high school acting training group program. Um, that I did uh, in my sophomore, junior year. And then in junior year, I got into the high school touring company, which they had at the time, which we went around to uh, high schools and did classic Second City scenes and improv stuff. And you know who was in it was Brett Gelman. Do you know that actor? He is in um, Fleabag. He plays the horrible husband in Fleabag. He's in Stranger Things, the, the, the crazy conspiracy theorist. I haven't seen yeah. one of those. He's, he's amazing. Yeah. He was in that. Um, and it was, yeah. So in, in both, both of those improv training groups, space objects and space and space in hand and all that stuff was very much. Um, so you were not surprised by all that. That didn't throw me so much. Um, yeah. That, cause I'd been exposed to the improv thing through Piven at a very early age. What, so how did you get, um, grapes of wrath? I got grapes of wrath. Um, Wait, I have the poster right there. Oh, nice. Um, I got Grace of Wrath because when I was in eighth grade, I wanted an agent. And my parents were like, you can get an agent in eighth grade or something like that. And I got an agent. Um, and the agent said, was it A plus talent? Does that even exist anymore? No. No. No, right? But – um. They said a good thing to do is to send your headshot out to all the theater companies in town just so they have it. And we did. And my headshot came across the desk of Randall Arney. Randall Arney now runs the Geffen out here in Los Angeles and was a real high up Steppenwolf artistic director type guy. Um, and the day that they, uh, someone who looked similar to me um, was leaving to go do a show in LA. Like they were like, I can do the opening night performance of the Grapes of Wrath. And then I'm leaving after that night to go out to Los Angeles to shoot a pilot. Like I got my, you know, dream LA pilot thing. And so he was leaving and they needed someone to fill it. It was a one line part. And I looked very similar to this person. And they, they, I think I went down and had a meeting with them. And there was maybe like two or three other kids that they were looking at. It wasn't very, you know, it wasn't like a really strenuous process and they offered me the job and I was like, and my parents will, I told my parents, I was like, no, I want to play tackle football. I, I really want to play tackle oh, football. Yeah. And they were like, um, <laughs> okay, but this is a really big opportunity with some really big people. And I don't know that you really want to pass on this. 
And I'll never forget this. I was like, no, I'm going to pass. And I called up to call, um, I think it was Randall Arney or whoever was doing the casting. And I got on the phone with them. And while I was on the phone with them, I changed my mind. Because they were just like, Jeffrey, so we're so, you know, and I just, and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. In an instant, oh just like God. that. And and then, you know, to this day, like, I was working uh, at Nickelodeon and one of the, the, the showrunner actually had gone to Northwestern and studied with Mary Zimmerman and knew Frank Galati and had that show in his mind was a legend in his mind. And he found out that I was in that and he was like, you were in that? Oh my God. Like, still. I have to tell you that I've heard that show come up a number of times in the last like five years. It, yeah. it comes up frequently in all different contexts. Yeah. It really was an influential um sort of moment uh, that solidified Steppenwolf as a yeah. theater company for sure. Um, and just the Chicago theater scene and just, you know, being a part of that at such a, such a young age. I mean, when we did it, it was so much fun. I mean, it was really, really cool to get dropped off. My, my, my poor, my mom, there was like a carpool. There was another Evanston kid that was in it and we would carpool down there and we would hang out there at the Royal George theater and, it was it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. I remember thinking you were very it was very cool when I heard about it. It you were was the only kid that that I knew that had been in a real production. Yeah, yeah, it was, and it was you know, and and at the time, none of those people were really famous yet. Uh, but John Riley left to go do, I think it was Casualties of War, in the middle of that, in the middle of that run. Um, what did you? Uh... What was your, like, did you have a good relationship with the other, with the adults? Did the adults mix in with the kids or was it totally oh, man. separate? Absolutely. So there was an actor named Skip Suddeth who was on a show called Third Watch uh, for many, many years. And he was sort of a Chicago, he was a Steppenwolf member. And he was, he made each of the kids a stage makeup kit and taught us how to do latex things and make he made me a hall we made a halloween mask like a latex really fancy halloween mask that was painted he was so cool. nice i remember eric simonson was so nice gary sinise was so everyone was the only person that i remember being a little afraid of was nathan davis who was very old at the time and uh just i i think he wasn't feeling that good because he seemed pretty cranky um but but like Terry Kinney, I mean, all those yeah. guys were just. It sounds were the like nicest. a family, like a family situation. Like it they was. were your family. Yeah. And I still, I've run into, I saw Tom Irwin last year and it was just like, oh my God. And he didn't recognize me, of course, but I was like, do you, I, I love doing this. I've done it to a few of those guys being like, do you remember the little blonde kid with the curly hair? And they're like, ah, kind of. I'm like, well, that was me. It's, it's, it's really, it's really neat to, uh, that's adorable. That's yeah. so cute. What was it? Do you, do you know what it was on the phone? What made you change your mind? I think as I, as, as, as I look back on it, I think the excitement in the voice of the casting director, because they thought I was calling to say, yes, I'd love to do this. You know, they had called being like, we're offering Jeffrey the part. And then I was calling back to accept the part and, and, and just their excitement. They're like, so we're so excited. And I don't know if it was that as a kid, I couldn't say no to that. Like that's very powerful. And there was, I wasn't, didn't have the strength to just be like, um, no, I'm going to play tackle football. But for some reason, it was probably just, 
realistically, it was more my inability to socially say no to someone that wants me to say yes so badly in a right. position of power. And I just said yes. And, and, um, I'm really, really, really glad that, that I did. Yeah, but it's true. There's no way you could have conceived of the impact that would have had or what kind of opportunity it was. My son is into acting and every once in a while he's like, oh, I don't want to go to this audition. And I'm like, no. So you don't have to be an actor, but if you want to be an actor, you have to go to the audition. I've had that exact conversation. Like, like my my son does a little bit of voiceover and stuff like that. And so, and I'm always like, you don't have to do this, but if you don't want to do it, it's not, it's not going to, it's not going to really, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's hard. It's not like kids. just when you feel like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's real. It's, and that's the thing with kids and acting is, is <laughs> I remember working with a kid and it was, I think we were shooting true blood and the, 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 this little kid was, who was playing my son, the director's like, all right, run around in the sprinkler and just sort of play in the sprinkler. Okay. And he's like, director's like, action and the kid just bolts just runs <laughs> runs away and they're like what happened and he's like there was a bee and they're like, okay okay and i remember he was a really precocious you know kid with a lot of energy and i was watching his onset teacher trying to explain to him that this is work and we're working now and this kid is like no i have no idea what you're talking about right what are you talking about there is and no most, work. Most of the time when you're around a bunch of those kids, like I have been on sets with Isaac where the kids are like, I want to go to school. I don't want to be here. You know, yeah, that is it's a, a lot of parents pushing them into it. Yeah, that's real. I've seen that too. And it's really. Okay. So you begrudgingly accepted that you're going to go to DePaul. Yes. And then how did your experience of being there match up with what your expectation was going in? That's a really good question. I ex okay. So my expect I expected my I'm gonna I expected to not like it as much as I did, um, and I think that that has to do with the fact of the that the people that were there. Um, I made really great lifelong friends there. Um, I didn't think that I would. I instantly sort of um, assumed that DePaul was going to be filled with all of these actors that were wearing all black and smoking cigarettes all the time, which there certainly were that that existed, but there were other types um, of people there that I didn't quite expect. Um, and I still think theater school, it's best asset is who you meet and who you go through those trials with, because those are lifelong bonds that you make. And that's the real, um, the real sort of, the, the best thing I got out of DePaul were the people that I met there. Um, so I would say my expectation was that it was going to be this very, um, you know, and, and I went in th this very sort of, you know, like, like very actory situation, which it absolutely was, but there was more to it than that, which I connected with. And I started, I remember going in being like, I'm not going to socially hang out with actors. I'm going oh. to just, go to the classes and be, that'll be my major, but I want to hang out with people outside of the theater school. And that was sort of what I, what, how I went in being like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hang out with Nick Thorpe as much as I can, because he has nothing to do with the theater school. Right. Um, so that but was, it, it wasn't set up like that. You really could, it, that was, 
that you would have to work very hard to do that. Yes, yes, because your time is so much. You have no other. There's only 24 hours in the day. But I, I, I that that helped. But I, but then I met people that I wanted to hang out with at the school. So, you know, I didn't quite expect that aspect. And those are people that you're all like still in touch with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did you make, did you hang, you hung out with people outside of the theater school though too. Yes. I played in a band for junior year and senior year and we were playing shows all over Chicago all the time with, you know, with, and, and, and that was a completely different than the theater school social scene. Um, I remember one time I had, I had a day in, 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 in theater school where I had a show. Um, I did a, I had a 10 a.m. show like for one of the plays that we were in and then another one at night and then a gig with the band after that at like the, at the bop shop starting at, you know, 11 p.m. or something like that. So you were, like, you were moonlighting yeah. as a musician while you totally. were in theater school. And that's, and that's, and I thought, wow, what a great day this is going to be filled with all of this artistic creation. And still, I, I still, I still get to have those days like that. That's still how I try to, that's my goal (laughs) still to make those days where I get to do everything I like to do in one day. That's very cool. Did, did any, are any of the Henry danger kids going to go to theater school? You think? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, some of them may go to college, um, Right now, they're all, I think, kind of just taking a breath because they've been working so hard already at their young ages. Um, but I wouldn't be I, – I don't think they would go for acting if they went to college. I think they would probably go for something else just to have the college experience. Yeah, because they don't have to. I mean, they, they what have they, – What, yeah, are, you, what are we doing? Yeah. Right. I could see them going to, like, film school, directing, kind of like a James Franco angle. Um, but I but – I, but, I don't think that, yeah, I think if they went to theater school, it would be so strange for them to have the careers that they have and be around people that want what they want so badly. That's something that's so, you know, in the acting world is so hard for everyone. And and that's why people like don't talk about their work and, you know, like, because there's this pervading um, thing of everyone wants if you're working and you're a very successful actor, everyone, all the other actors that you hang out with on some level is like, I, I want, what I want, want what you have. And yeah. I think that would be really in theater school. That would be amplified to the 10th degree and would be kind of strange. I mean, it already was that there already was that at the theater school. That's why Don Elko had that thing. Beware the psychic vultures. Yes. And we all looked at Jonas Avery. Like this guy has been in movies before. Like he's done it. Yeah. He's We're going to talk to him too. Oh, good. He's fantastic. Yeah. Tell him he to make is. some pizza. He's got to make some better pizza. His pizza, his pizza pictures on Facebook are no good. <laughs> They're so funny. Um, they make me laugh so hard. Can we talk a little bit about uh, Blue Man? Absolutely. Okay. So can you tell me that sort of process for you in terms of being like, this is what I'm going to do? Blue Man Group. I had... Uh, well, okay, sure. I had a friend that, uh, so I, after college, after I finished DePaul, I was like, I'm going to play drums. I just want to be a drummer. I want to do everything I can to be a drummer. And uh, with the band that I was in, and we moved and we got this warehouse that, that you lived in with us, Gina. And um, 
A friend, Thessaly Lerner, told me, I, do you remember Thess? She, she was said, she literally said to me one day, I had a dream last night that you became, that you beat out Michael Jackson for the part of a blue man in Blue Man Group. And I opened the paper today and I saw this. And she shows me open call for Blue Man Group auditions. This oh is my gosh. Yeah. And I went to the open call and it went fine. I didn't really think too much of it. And then I was staying at my girlfriend at the time. I was at her house. And I remember I got a call from our roommate, Will, at like one in the morning. And he's like, hey, dude, the Blue Man Group just called a callback <laughs> for you because they had forgotten to do their callback calls. This is classic Blue Man Group, you know, at the time because it was, it, was, it was early in the company and, and it, was, it was a lot of fun. And I was, they were like, you, and he was like, you got to be at your callback tomorrow at three or something like that. And I went to the callback and I did the callback. And again, it was um, very, you know, like they had us tell a story with your eyes. The story was um, what to look at, look at the camera and be like, what is that? And then, you know, what, what is that to, uh, oh, it's something good to, oh, it's something bad. No, wait, it's something good. Like something really simple like that. And so I did that. And I did some basic drumming. The drumming in Blue Man Group is very simplistic. It's not complicated. So that was, as a blue man, I should say. If you're in the band, th that's a completely other uh, other story. Um, and then I didn't hear anything for a month, maybe. And then they called up and they were like, hey, Jeffrey, we'd like you to come to New York for a two-week-long audition sort of camp type thing. And this was right at the worst time possible because – the band that I was in had just finished recording a record and we were all excited. And we were like, we just made our first record. Like, here we are, like we're about to be on the, you know, we're taking this to the next level. Um, and that summer I was supposed to kind of run this kid's camp that I'd been working at. And my mom was coming out to the camp during the, the two week audition period. So I had to tell the camp, I can't be there for this. I had to tell my mom, you're going to have to go to camp by yourself, which she did and had, probably more fun there because they have a week of adult camp before um, the kids camp. And um, she probably had more fun at adult camp without me being there. And I had to tell the band that like, Hey, I'm going to go do this. And if this happens, I'm probably not coming back. And so it was a lot on the line. And I went out to the two week audition and there were six or seven of us, I think. And we were learning parts of the show. I mean, back then the audition process was now it's, very much more streamlined and much more pared down. Um, and we got in the makeup and we performed a PVC piece, um, the opening piece of the show with the paint and the drums and stuff. And we did a uh, crunch, which is the captain crunch bit, which has a lot of acting in it or whatever. Um, and then they, yeah, they, as each, like every day they'd be like, we're going to keep you. We're going to have, and you're seeing guys get cut. Oh my god. I mean it was god. like a reality show. It literally was a reality show in Brazil. Um and they actually found a blue man and they just put it on TV. But um at the end of the two weeks, I made it through the end and they're like, We'd like to hire you into training. And you're still and then you're going to training and they're like, We're not gonna fully hire you until you're in the show doing well. So then training was like two months of every week. We're keeping you here. We're gonna keep oh you my here. Gosh. Yeah, it was it was it was really, really But intense. wait, were you and getting really paid for that? Training for that show. 
Yes, we were getting, I got paid for everything. You got paid for the audition. That's what I didn't realize what a big deal. I, I thought Blue Man Group was some rinky dink little, you know, off Broadway, weird show. I had, and when I got to New York and and saw their massive spaces and their massive real estate that they owned and, and they were like, we're going to pay you $800 a week to train. I was like, what? Sign me up. You were like, yeah. yes, you are. I was like, that's more money than I've ever made in my life. I am in. And uh, the training was really hard, really hard um, psychologically. And just that show is there's no way to know what that's like until you're up there because you're reacting to the audience so much that there's there's no way to do it until you're on stage. That's why they don't hire you until you're on stage in front of people and you can handle because the audience is the fourth character in the show. Um and uh, so how, how did you, you're that you're at like at a hotel or something? This I camp? was, they had a, they on 12th and third on the corner of 12th and third in the East village, they had an apartment that was all blue man group people. It was like animal house. It was insane. Insane. Um, because they were hiring me to open the Vegas show. Cause what happened was, is they went to all of their performers. They're like, hey, we're going to do a Vegas show. Who wants to move to Vegas? And every single one of them, I think there's one person that said, I'll do it. And everyone else was like, no way. And they were like, we can't have um, untrained newbies in our biggest show ever. So they, they pushed the show back, I think, by a year and just hired eight new blue men and had us train and live at this house. And we would do shows in New York and then they'd say, go to Chicago for a week and do shows there. And then we'd come back to New York and do shows there. And they'd be like, go to Boston. So they need someone's injured and you'd go to Boston. And you were just doing the show as much as possible to, to, to get up and running for, for Vegas. But the, the, my first show as a blue man was in very, very intense and really like when you start. So in the New York show, the way the show opens, you crawl onto the stage in the pitch black and you find your, you, your hand finds this flashlight and you, and you're in this little tiny box. Cause the first thing is like a shadow piece, right? So you're in this little tiny box and you know that you have a certain amount of time. Like one, once this, cause they have a little sign that the audience is saying all these things, right? They call it the second sign. Like, hello, welcome to blue man. I promise not to take photos. I promise, you know, to laugh or whatever the, they have all these little bits and you're hearing that and you're in the pitch black and you've got to set up all these props. Like you've got to make sure that your sticks are ready to grab and you're, you're wearing this welding helmet. I mean, it is terrifying. Can I, can I ask a question about how um, I'm really, really fascinated by resilience and how people get through these kinds of things. So what do you attribute not losing your mind doing during this process to? Um, <laughs> that's a really good question. How I'm going to say, I did lose my mind. There were definitely moments where I was like, I am absolutely not going to get this job. Like I, like we watched other people get cut from training that had been doing it for a month and a half. We saw that happening and you're just like, Oh my God. Like, you know what? I, I, I don't really know, Jen. I, I, I don't know. I, I just kept, I just kept going and hoped for the best. Um, I didn't stop. Put it that way. Yeah. I didn't stop. Right. You kept moving. I kept did moving. You, did you form relationships with the other people who were auditioning? 
Absolutely. The, still, one of my best friends in the world is the guy that I went through training with. I was at the very first audition with. We lived together through training. We moved to Vegas together. Like, oh yeah, it was another like it's those those the, that that life bond where you go through these sort of t- amazing it's, trials that you're like. It's like the army. It sounds yes. like the armed forces. Absolutely, because you're so scared together. You're so vulnerable. You're so scared. Like, and, and, and that was. Like training for Blue Man, they were really like trying to make you as, you know, because the whole character is in this wildly uncomfortable state for an hour and a half. That's where it lives. Like that's normal. That's base <laughs> for that character, right? And um, you, yeah, you, you really, in those spaces where you're most vulnerable and most frightened is where you form the most, the greatest friends. And I think the same thing goes with theater school because Theater school is terrifying. It's scary to, A, say that to yourself and to the world and to other people that want to be actors that I am an actor too. I am going to do this. I am putting every, you know, 100% of my being into this endeavor. It's scary. Yeah, I mean, it's it's mortifyingly scary. So we had this long conversation with Zach Helm. Yes. And he's, you know, very involved with the theater school. He's on the board, et cetera, et cetera. So he gave us a lot of insight about everything that's changed since then. And one of the major changes that was news to me is that it's not a cut program anymore. Yes, I've heard this. So um, do you, what was your whole experience with the cut situation? Were you ever on warning? Well, yes, I was on warning. Now, see, here's where here's where I wonder about uh, – that's a really interesting question. For me, because originally I didn't want to go to DePaul, the cut thing was not a factor because I didn't – if I got cut, I would have been like, fantastic. I'm out of here. I'm sure that's how I felt going in and certainly for the first year. I think had I gotten cut in the second year, I would have – there would have been – I either year getting cut – would have been a hard pill to swallow. Any way you cut it, there's no easy way to be told you're not good enough. That w- without question. But my defense was like, I, I had a, I had, again, thank God, I was so lucky to be to be able to be not paying for it and to be cut and to be have spent all that money on a school would be just horrific. Um, so the cut didn't have the 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 weight of the weight that it did for other students. Um, I I mean I think some people that got cut did need to be told this might not be the right profession for you. And there were people that got cut and went on and had successful careers. You know, it did. yeah. I, there's there's almost no equation there because. M- you and th- maybe there's like four people from our year that are making their living doing what we went to school for. And there's way more people than that, that were cut that are making their living <laughs> doing what we went to school for. So yeah. it's very, there to me, there seemed to be very little rhyme or reason to the whole cut system. Yeah. It, it didn't, I mean, it seemed like it was, it depended on who your acting teacher was and how your personality clashed or didn't with your acting teacher. It, yeah. 
how much how much of a scholarship you were getting or not. Yeah. I mean, there's all these factors. And then also, I think there's maybe another piece because some of the people who got cut early were really um, had a hard time with authority. Yes. But that doesn't mean they weren't like really talented. Sure. Or the way Actors. or the way people looked or the way they, you know, how yeah. they carried themselves. It was just it was it does it did seem to me like a, a bit of a random thing. But I also and we've talked about this and I don't know what your feeling is about it, Jeffrey, but like it's like if it was was it scary it wasn't scary to you at all. So this is sort of different for you. But but um could you have done if you were cut, would you think that you still would have been an actor? I guess is my question. Yes, I do. I think I still would have been an actor. I might have been more of a drummer had I been cut. It would it would have depended on because I got back into I got really into drumming my sophomore. I stopped, so I was a drummer. And then when I got into high school, I started to be there. I was it was I could be an actor. There were plays to be in, and I was like. And I think junior year of high school, I was like, I'm going to be an actor. And I remember selling drums. I was like, I don't want to drum anymore. I'm just an actor. And then sophomore year of college, there was a drum set at the house that I lived in. And I started playing it again. And I was like, oh, man, this is really fun. And um, I think I might have been maybe more of a drummer. I don't know. But I still would have pursued a, a career in the arts, I think, because that's just wh- that's what just I was brought up are. for. Yeah. 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 So one of the things that you said a while back uh, was um, that the theater school didn't necessarily prepare you for getting a job, which I think that's prob that may be a u- universal feeling. I mean, I certainly had that feeling. So how how did you figure that out? Um. Well, I left. So when I left the theater school, I went out to be in a band, and we got out to San Francisco, and. I thought to myself, well, I should at least try to get an agent and see if I can book some acting work just to make some money, you know? And I, in the San Francisco market, I did not have a problem booking work. The industrials, just the theater training that I had, um, it didn't, like, it wasn't so, the whole Hollywood, like, when you get, you know, your first Hollywood, you know, real actual lines or sides or a script or whatever there's numbers and it just looks so confusing and it's so weird by going to san francisco um it was a very it was much easier to to to, to book work uh what i, I want to qualify the statement that i made before it, so the theater school did prepare me to book work because i did book work when i when i got out of there but i think had i gone to los angeles it would not have prepared me to book work in the in in a much more competitive um, cutthroat scene. Does that make sense? Totally. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you got your sea legs. Kind yeah. Of. And the way that I learned when I did move to LA and started to really want to work out here is I took audition classes. I took from everyone. I was in acting class so much. <laughs> like I was addicted to it. I remember I took a class where I took a class from Jeffrey Tambor actually, which was probably in a, which was an amazing class. And he was like, you need to stop going to acting class. Wow. <laughs> he was like, you are addicted to acting class oh. and you need to prove to yourself 
You have this addiction that you're not good enough and you need to be in class to prove to yourself that you can do this constantly and you need to get to another level of I can do this and I don't need to prove it and that's when you're going to start working. Um, So I, I, I just took classes specifically that teach you how to audition, how to deal with action in the action lines that when you have no one to punch or what to do when there's five characters in the seat, you know, just those technical things. Um, we didn't get told that really. I remember there was a class that was like, here's how to get a headshot and stuff. But, but also there's also this, when I was at DePaul, everything was sort of in a, like it wasn't real. It was when real life starts, but you're still not needing there. What when I moved to LA, it was dire. It was learn to do this or find something else to do. That simple, right? It was, and I really wanted to know how to do this really badly. When I was at DePaul and in theater school, I didn't have that fire under me to like want to learn. And it wasn't until I really wanted to learn that I really did learn, really. There's something about where you're at that needs to sort of um, accept, you know, how seriously are you going to take take stuff? And 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 I and I took it seriously, but not on the level of like I have to I have to learn this right now. But did you? I thought you were going to say you did get on warning. I did get on warning. You did. I okay. absolutely got on warning. David Av called me, sat me down, and he was like, "Look, you're this." long haired kind of whatever who cares kind of a hippie like you need to you need to really start showing up a lot more and putting a lot more care into this or you will be cut and you're now on warning <laughs> i was like oh yeah. okay yeah. and then don ilko was like <laughs> i'm going to put you in a play and you're going to cut that hair and he did <laughs> And I had to. Wait, what play was that? Uh, it was. Was it Androcles and the Lion? No. It was. Uh, it was a. a um, it was. Uh, That's okay. It was. A, was it a kids show? No, it was a workshop. Oh. It was a workshop that was. Um, Sean Spratt was in it. Um, oh, it was. It was like. Um, Oh my god, it's on the tip was of my it tongue. British? Yes. Okay. Yes, it was, was it British? Picture? No, That's it wasn't. It was oh, no, um that was Patrice. Yes, Patrice did the picture stuff. Um it was Yeah, it was a it was a British it was a British workshop. Um the, like, like the, the importance of, of being earnest. Who, Ask. Something like that. It wasn't yeah. that, but something like that. Sure. Uh, oh God, I was just going to ask you, oh no, Don, I was just going to say, God bless Don Ilko. He seems to really see right to the center of people. And David did too. I mean, my warning conversation with him was very similar, which was, you know, the, the way you're approaching like your, your style and your life, like, it's like, you don't want to get your hands dirty and that's not going to work here. You, you're going to need to like wear sweatpants and put, not put makeup on and like roll, roll around on the floor. Yeah. 
So wait, how did, why were you talking to David if Rick was your teacher? This was sophomore year, I think. Okay. I don't know how I ended up in his office, but because my acting teacher was Rick Murphy freshman yeah. year. I think I had David Alcali second year. No, I had Don Ilko second year. Yeah. Well, no, we had the same acting teacher for two years, didn't we? Maybe we had Rick Murphy for two years. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, I don't that, know our section. Yeah, because I never had David Avcali and I was with you first year. Yeah. Had. I don't know why so David was. He might have taken a special interest maybe, in you or something. Maybe. That could have been it. I Because I think, I don't really, I don't know Rick very much, but I doubt he would be get, delivering news like that. You know what I mean? Was he the kind of person who would sit you down and talk, talk to about how you as a person were getting in the way of you as an actor? No, Rick Murphy would sort of play with the light switch and kind of. Uh, <laughs> That's what he did. That's what he did, Jeffrey. He said, "What?" I went to sit for my warning, and he said, "What sign are you?" And I was like, "Oh no!" I said, "I'm a I'm a Libra," and he's like, "Oh well, this makes perfect sense." And I'm like, "I don't." This it's is crazy. Not a real I mean, when thing. you think about it, and you see it from the perspective now, it's so fascinating because it's so um, overwhelming and huge when you're there. And when you see it now in the context of, oh, well, there's, you know, all these theater schools and there's so many people want to be actors and there's so many actors that didn't even go to theater school. Like, it's a very, you know, but it, but they're training you for the stage. That's their thing is that they yeah. are training you for the stage. And they're clear about that. Like, at, at most of the conservatories, they're like, we are giving you a theater stage training. Mm -hmm. um, and I was certainly more prepared to go to an audition for a play than I was for a television show or a movie or whatever. But I would like to do a play. Yeah, you should. I think it would be really fun to go back and like figure out who you are now. I mean, that's one really interesting thing, maybe about acting in general. I don't know. I never acted for the screen, but certainly acting in theater is you do have to check in with yourself about like, where are you at emotion? Like how far have you grown? compared to your character or where, you know, do you, where are you at with your life choices? It, it, I find it to be like an intensely psychological, you know, personally psychological experience. Absolutely. I always felt like theater was like the greatest of the psychological adventures because you're really trying to, not only you're trying to figure out who this person is, but then you're trying to be that person mm -hmm. and transform mm -hmm. yourself into that person. Um, which is really interesting on so many levels because then it brings into who you are and what similarities and differences that you have and all that. Do you do that as much with, like, did you do that on Henry Danger? I was my dad. You just were your dad. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I drew so much from my own father um, because that character was, my dad was wacky and crazy and this character was wacky and crazy. Um, I, one thing that I did not learn at DePaul uh, specifically wow. was to use my, my, my real life as um, fuel. You know, mm -hmm. I learned that I totally. think Jeffrey Tambor actually was the greatest teacher of that. Like you use your life, use your life. I remember teachers saying specific, it was so, it was confusing. I was so confused about all of the techniques and methods. And I agree to this day. If somebody says, you know, so did you guys study like Stanislavski? <laughs> I'm like, I don't even I know. No idea. 
<laughs> we learn to shove space between our legs yeah. and and other things. But like, if I can't either, I can't say, "Oh yeah, that's Spolin." That's yeah, I, Stanislavski. I, it was. Con- that, I just I'm remember like, being highly we, confused uh, and not really understanding what an intention was. Like what? Like it seemed like so oh, confusing. God. Where it's really not that confusing. Well, you know, it's not confusing to you now, though, because if I mean, I I speak for myself, just in my life, my head was so far up my ass at that age. I just had no idea about anything. Right. That's why I think I'm. How are you? How am I going to learn intention for a character when I don't? I don't even approach my own life with any intentionality. Right. Which is an argument for. You know, like in some theater schools, I've heard of people talk about going through theater school and being told you need to go into therapy because uh-huh. you your psychology is really impeding your acting and like you have this potential, but you're all fucked up in your head. Right. Um, I think that's actually illegal. So they don't do that anymore. But it makes sense why they would, because if you if you can't and I guess that was the point of all the voice and body work was helping you try to integrate like yourself and who yourself was. Our conversation with Zach was mind blowing because he apparently came to the theater school with all of that, like self-awareness. And because of that, he was able to like pan back and see what was going on and make decisions if he liked it or not. Wow. Now that's, yeah. Zach is a (sighs) highly intelligent, highly evolved dude. Uh, who, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I remember thinking that he, like he had something going on at the theater school that other people did not. He had just yeah. an awareness. He just did. He just, he sort of operated as like this outlaw on the outside of things. Um, mm-hmm. And he really seemed to know himself and know who he was and what he wanted to do. Um, yeah, I did not have that. Again, that's why I think I learned more about acting when I was much older when I came to Los Angeles when I was 28 and was like, okay, I really got to learn this. I learned so much more about it than um, when I was in, 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 in theater school because Mm -hmm. you are. Yeah. 17 years old, 18 years old. What the, I mean, I guess that also leads me to ask you, like, if, if, I don't know if, if your son or if, if, if someone comes to you and says, Mm -hmm. I want to go and they're 16, you know, they're saying, I want to go to theater school. What do you, what do you, Jeffrey Brown, what are you saying to them? Well, I, it's interesting because I, because as my son gets older, you know, I, I I do think about like, I really do want him to go to college and study something just because I think it's really important to have that in between land of child life and real life and being with other people going through that. I mean, can you imagine like graduating high school and being like, okay, you're on your own. Go for it. No way. You need no. that support. Um, you want to go through that with other people. Um, again, I, I really think college is about who you are with, not so much what you're studying. That's why picking your school is important because you want to pick the school that's going to have the same people. You know, so you want to find your people in college. That's what you want, right? Um, I think that's the biggest takeaway. So I would say to go to absolutely go to theater school, just go to some type of school. Don't try to be an actor straight out of the gate unless you've been doing it already for Mm -hmm. 10 years. And that's, and that's a weird thing too, because 
I see how the only chance you can just walk into Hollywood and say, hi, I'd like to try is when you're 10 years old. That's mm-hmm. the only time they go, sure. What do you have? Let, we'll, we'll see it. We'll, we'll give you a shot. And as soon as you turn 18, it's like, well, what have you been doing for the past 15 years? How come? Because there's 5,000 other kids over here that already have resumes this long. and Insane. Yeah, I had that realization mm-hmm. when I moved out here and I was like, oh my God. Because I looked at the people booking the jobs that I wanted to and I went, oh, they've got 20 years under their belt at 27. Right. That's so crazy. It is, but that's the the truth of it. Yeah. 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 So how are you, what are you doing now that there's nothing going on? You're doing your own thing. You're writing your own television show. Yep. I've been writing, writing a lot. Um, uh, Voiceover. I've been doing, you know, continuing with voiceover auditions and booking jobs there when I can. Um, and that's it. And playing drums every, like every day, my day is like, get up, work out, do my voiceover auditions, write for a couple hours, you know, play drums for an hour. And then <laughs> it's dinner time. Like <laughs> that's pretty much every single day. Um, uh, I really, I really miss the, 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 the old, the old world. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, I mean, work production is starting to come back here. So auditions are coming back. Commercial auditions are coming back. Um, theatrical auditions are coming back. All that stuff. Uh, Even at the same are, time as they're saying that, aren't your numbers still real bad? Yeah, but the, but basically, um, I think the, the, the major deal is that the unions and everyone has come together on the protocols and they've put together protocol sheets and they they now have a system in place to deal with this which has opened up the um the 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 floodgates for production to begin again and i think there's a huge backlog of production that is going to explode even if the numbers do go up um unless we go into a full-on shutdown mode again i don't see that production would end because i mean their procedures are so stringent and so strict like you have to get tested every day and stuff like that i think if not every day a couple times a week there's masks everywhere there's you know everything has everything has a system Mm -hmm. every department wardrobe makeup actors directors everyone has this specific system that they must adhere to um my wife actually is working this week and she was like the stage was so warm because they're keeping the doors open, whereas normally those sound stages are freezing. freezing. Yeah. But b- because she was rehearsing, um, they were keeping the doors. It's like all these weird wow. things. Like, oh yeah, I guess that's. She had to print out her own script. They wouldn't print out a script. Like all these little. Does she things. have to bring her own makeup? No, she doesn't have to bring her own makeup. But I guarantee you that the makeup person is very has a, has a, just for her. Yeah. Has a system. Yep. Oh yeah. And everyone's, because we all want to work. So everyone's just like, fine, whatever we have to do to get through this, we don't want to be out of work anymore. We'll go through whatever hoops we have to, you know, run through. Wow. Jeff, this was awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's so good to see you both and to talk to you. What a pleasure. Yeah, we will. You guys are going to have a I Survive Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. 
This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. Follow us on Instagram at Undeniable Writers or on Twitter at Undeniable W-R-I-T-1. That's Undeniable Write without the E-1. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>